the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Today's message is entitled, Never a Saul Moment. Not a dull moment, never a Saul moment, a S-A-U-L, and I, we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to tell you before we get started, Jesus didn't come for business as usual in our lives. He didn't come for us to say that prayer and then go back to business as usual. He didn't die to become a, a comfortable add-on to our existence. He didn't become this new emoji that we can add to our emotions collection. He didn't come to be our Facebook friend. He came to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother in real life. He doesn't offer a Band-Aid for the gaping wound in our heart. Because look, we were bleeding to death. We were already dead in our sins and trespasses. He didn't come <laughs> to put a Band-Aid over a dead man's heart. He came to give us new life. He made everything new. Say everything new. Aren't you glad? So what's some of the warning signs? I wanted to start off with some warning signs of a dead man walking. Does that make sense? Because nobody in here, don't take this personally, if you hear anything that I say, and it's just one or two of them or something, it, it may be some warning signs that your relationship needs a little adjustment or whatever, but don't take it personally like I'm saying you're not saved. But there are warning signs when we begin to see dead men walking in the church, we see people claiming to have a live, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, claiming to be Christians, but not behaving at all like Christians. Now, like I said, none of these alone means you aren't saved, but they could surely signal that you aren't fully immersed in the true purpose of your life in Christ. If we were a car, for example, and we were to roll down to AutoZone and they were to plug that machine up to see why the light on your dashboard is on, what kind of reading would you get? What kind of signals are you putting forth? Are you getting where I'm coming from? These are some things, warning signs, that might tell you something's wrong under the hood. Something's wrong in the relationship department with Jesus. Warning light number one. Your prayer life has become a chore. The busyness of life, I don't know what it is. You just don't feel like he's listening anymore. You go to pray and it's just empty. Just a warning sign that things might, you might need a tune-up. You might need a new set of spark plugs. You might begin to take care of that old car. Make sure it's in good running order. Second, you, have, you only pray for yourself. You never pray for anybody else. And you only pray for yourself when you need something. You have just gotten to where you, there's no time. It's not like, hey, God, how you doing? It's like, God, I need this, this, this. And you just pull out your laundry list when you need it. 
Or you don't even do that anymore. You just wait till you're in serious trouble and you just cry out, Oh, help me, Lord. How is your prayer life? Have you ever prayed for somebody else? I know, I know everybody in here does, and a lot of us pray for our families. But have you ever prayed for somebody outside your family? I know you pray for your church, but have you ever prayed for somebody in another church? I know you pray for people in another church, but have you ever prayed for somebody on the street? Are you open to be used by God in prayer? That's a good question. Number three, you can't be counted on at church. Well, you guys certainly can. You're the Wednesday night faithful. But there are people that go to church and they're like me. They, they may go every couple of months whether they need it or not. You know how, that, how it was. They can't be counted on to be there. You, you want to put them in a position and, and let God begin to use the gifts and abilities they have, but you put them on the list and they don't show. They don't call. They, don't, they treat the things of church real lightly. They're not very faithful. They're like a, what does it say? Like a foot out of joint is an unfaithful man. A tooth, a broken tooth, I think it says in another place. Number four, there's no real heart anymore for the lost. Now, some of these things you may never have had. Not anybody here. I'm speaking to those solely that will hear this by podcast. The ones that ain't here. But you... Some of you never had a heart for the lost. You don't care about other people's salvation. You, it, you just worry about your heaven. That would be a big sign that something needs to change, that you need an overhaul, or that you might need, to just, you need, might need a jump start. You might need a new engine. If that's the case, you have no heart for the lost, or else you're losing the heart that you once had. You once, you first got saved, you couldn't wait to tell everybody but now you've grown co too comfortable in your Christianity that you're not thinking about your major responsibility to the great commandment or commission. Number five, every decision for God is filtered through the lens of what's in it for me? If you're asked to do something for the church, you immediately say, well, I, how much does it pay? <laughs> or y'all going to have food or... What, you know, what's in it for me? Are, you know, is everybody going to see me when I do it? You know, and I'm a good, you going to give me one of those candy bars on Sunday? <laughs> you know, what's in it for me? Number six, on Sunday morning, you watching the clock like a hawk. I'll be glad when this is over. Well, I mean, y'all got a good excuse, but people at other churches have good pastors. <clears throat> but you look around and other people seem to be getting something that you're not. You see them during praise and worship and they're, they got tears coming out of their eyes and you're like, I hate this song. This sucks. I'll be glad when praise and worship is over. In fact, that's the next one. You feel out of place during the song service. You sit there and you're, uh, I wish that people, I hope nobody's looking at me and it's all about you and you cannot get your focus off of the here and now to get your, even close your eyes and get your heart connected with God for one brief glimpse into his glory. You have a hard time entering in. In fact, I have seen for years 
And, and I think we have a good praise team, but I, I remember for years that people would wait till after praise and worship to even get to church. So they didn't want they felt uncomfortable, and I don't really come for that. I just come for the word. You know, I just come for the word. I'm not into all that. Let me straighten out your theology for just a moment. That is your opportunity to give to God. It is putting you in position to receive the word from God. See, it's a give and take. God is always in partnership with man. And if we're just always, what can I get? And I'm not giving nothing. That's wrong. Uh, let's see. What is this, number eight? You can't get past the tithe hurdle. Not looking at anybody. I don't know your situation. But you've been struggling with that since you got born again. That 10% is just like too important to you that you just can't give it up for God. And it's just, I can't do it. I said, that 10% would shut me down. And so it's just a faith issue. It is a trust issue. Number nine, you often play the judge. Well, his sermon wasn't as good as, you know, that other guys or the one I heard on TV. Or he was pretty good today. I could almost tolerate him. The music, you know, was too loud. The, the, you know, that new guitar player on the black guitar over there, he sucks. You know, <laughs> they, they really need to get a keyboard player, you know. <laughs> Somebody who knows what they're doing. But you, you and, and in the church in general, you find yourself to begin to be a complainer. Well, you know, when, we've, when we used to do it the old way, this and that. And, and now, everything, you're starting to see it in a negative light. And instead of jumping in and rushing in to help make things better, you would just rather complain. We need to get this CD to other churches because we don't have any of these problems. But Number 10. I'm going to get off of this. This is my last one. I'm just setting... I'm just kind of giving you some warning indication lights that if these things are going on in your mind and you're experiencing some of these things, it would be a good time to be revived in the Lord. Maybe you have an interest, number 10, you have an interest in gaining knowledge. Like that's, you know, I skipped the praise and worship, but I really want the word. I, I want that word of God in my life. But it's probably just because you, wanna, you know that the Word of God works and you want, it, you want the benefits of knowing the things of God. Maybe you even go to conferences to hear people speak all over the world. But you're, you're, you're willing and, and wanting head knowledge, but you're resistant to share any piece of your heart. What I mean by that is your Christianity is between your ears more so than between your rib cage. And that's not good. Because I can tell you God cares more about what's between your rib cage than he does between your ears. He gave up on what's between your ears a long time ago. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1 says, Now, this is 1 Corinthians 1, 8 if you want to turn there. This is the Apostle Paul. He's talking to the Corinthians and he's talking about, you know, people are arguing over doctrine and stuff. 
And they're basically, basically knowledge stuff. Well, what do we do if a man says this food is offered to idols and this and that? You know, and so they're trying to straighten out their theology and they're trying to get knowledge. But he says in verse 1, Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but knowledge makes us feel important while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. See, he's drawing a comparison between the head and the heart. While it is knowledge that makes us feel important, the King James says knowledge puffeth up, makes us prideful, it is love that strengthens the church. And love comes from within. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one who, recogni who God recognizes. You see, love is the difference maker. So it's good to get knowledge, but with all you're getting, man, make sure you get the love of God. Love for God, the love of God, understand his love towards you. The love of God is what we need. We need never to have a Saul moment. Never a Saul. Look at your neighbor say, never a Saul moment. Have I even mentioned why we called it that yet? Are, are you interested? Let's talk about the Old Testament Saul first. The Old Testament Saul, as you will remember, was King Saul, the predecessor to King David. He was the first king of Israel. And go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 10, and I'll give you a little background. 1 Samuel 10, 16 is where we'll start. There's a priest along those lines about that time, and his name is Samuel. And God tells him, you know, that my people are clamoring for a king. They've hurt my feelings, but I'm going to give them what they want. I'm going to give them exactly what they want. They want somebody tall, good-looking, and, and, and he's going to represent them well. So I've got this guy in mind. So Samuel meets with Saul of Kish, and he uh, anoints him as king. Saul had been just out looking for his donkeys. His dad's donkeys got out. And uh, somewhere along the line, God set up and arranged a meeting between them. And, and uh, much to Saul's surprise, Samuel anoints him as king, says, God has chosen you to be the next king. He's kind of freaked out about it. <laughs> a lot of things happen and to confirm that he is. And, uh, everything Samuel told him would happen happened on the way home. And so he finally gets home, and in verse 16, his dad's saying, now, what did Samuel say to you? Because everybody knows Samuel. Samuel's the famous priest of the whole nation of Israel. In verse 16, Saul answers, He told us that the donkeys had already been found. Saul replied, But Saul didn't tell uncle, his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingdom. In other words, he didn't say anything at all. It just slipped his mind that he had been anointed king of the whole land. And some of us, You'll talk about your donkey, but you won't mention at all that you have a call from God on your life at the water fountain at work. I started to say you'll talk about your something else, call it something else. But I said, no, I'm not going to do that. You'll talk about your donkey, but you won't talk about your faith. 
And that's what Saul's doing here. Something huge in your life, like you're calling, like you've been anointed by God to do something important, but you won't tell anybody that. You're just worried about the donkey getting loose. Somebody let your donkey out. (laughs) Are you hesitant to tell people that you're a Christian? Are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And are people surprised to find out when you are? (laughs) That's the most... That's the more serious question. You're a Christian? That'd be the worst thing anybody could ever say to you, wouldn't it? You're a Christian? I didn't know that. (laughs) Well, the time comes when Samuel is going to anoint Saul publicly. And they're going to tell the whole kingdom of Israel that here is your new king. And if you go on down to verse 22, Samuel's up on the platform And I can imagine he says, and now to introduce your new king, come on down, Saul. Saul. I'll be right back. And he runs, and it says in verse 22, they asked the Lord, where is he? They had to get off stage and go pray. We can't find the boy. He's supposed to be king. The whole nation is out here. The Lord answers them, which is awesome. He said he's hiding among the baggage. (laughs) Are you a closet Christian? Would somebody be able to say about you that, I didn't even know they were a Christian. He's been hiding it behind the baggage. All his baggage. (laughs) The baggage in your life. Is it so hard to see your Christianity through all your baggage? that you're still dragging around, that you should have let go of when you made Christ Lord of your life? Are you scared to own up to your calling? At the water fountain, is it embarrassing to you if they find out you're a Christian? Are you embarrassed to bow your head in a restaurant and give the Lord praise for your meal and ask Him to bless it? Little things. Are you embarrassed? No, not this group. Let's go on to 1 Samuel 15. We'll see how this ends up for Saul. First Samuel 15. We're going, this is what, five chapters later? And we're already talking about the end of Sam, uh, Saul's rule. Because you don't get far in your calling in life if you're hiding behind the baggage. 1 Samuel 15, starting in verse 10. Then the Lord said to Samuel, the priest, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Wouldn't that be sad? If you overheard God telling somebody, I'm sorry I ever made Daniel my child. Because he has refused to obey my command. He won't do anything. Now God wouldn't look at us like that. Because because of Jesus. But I wouldn't want to think that he would look at me like that. Or think of me like that. But this is the Old Testament. This is before Jesus. And the priest Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this. That he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, 
Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. What? What? Uh, what? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's, a, there's the issue. Saul's supposed to be serving the Lord, and he's out setting up a monument to himself. Just a thought. <laughs> when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully, like nothing's wrong. Everything's cool. May the Lord bless you, he said. I've carried out the Lord's command. Then what's all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle that I hear, Saul demanded. Oh, busted. Look at your neighbor and say, busted. Because he was supposed to destroy all the animals according to what God had told him. And all the people of this wicked town were set for destruction. And now he has, he has won the battle, but he has lost the war because he didn't carry out God's commands. And he says, it's true that the army spared the best of these sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but, but we're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. First of all, he's making excuses. It's not true. He's lying to the priest, and he's lying before God. And then he said, and he has the audacity to say, we're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. How do you worship somebody else's God? Yeah, we saved all these cattle to worship your God. Not, he didn't say we're, we're going to worship God, but we're going to worship your God. See, that reminds me of people that, that you can just tell when they talk that they have no personal relationship with God themselves. And I hate when people say, I go to so-and-so's church. Why isn't it your church? The good Lord. <laughs> That's almost always a telltale sign that they don't really know him. He's the good Lord. <laughs> and that's as close as, as, as they can say anything about him. I don't know. That's just my pet peeve. I, I strike that from the record. Maybe some of you say that. And don't mean anything by it. But anyway, <laughs> I done made everybody mad. This is a tough sermon, isn't it? I even made the good Lord mad. <laughs> Verse 16, Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, you're not the leader, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord has sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sights? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, and I, and I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, and plundered to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, What's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? See, that's a major lesson that we all, all we Christians can get right there. We try to overwhelm God with all our 
righteous acts and all the things we do, but then he asks us to do something and we won't do that. What's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than the offering of fats of rams. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now that's pretty rough. Well, I didn't say it. The Bible did. Rebellion, that means if God's telling me something to do and I just, no, I can't do that yet, God. I don't want to do that. You know God wants you to do it, but no, I'm just not going to do that. I'm rebelling against that thought. Nope. Get behind me, Satan. That's like witchcraft. Now, I don't know the ranks of sin and what God thinks is more important than others, but I would think witchcraft is pretty bad. And listen to this. It gets worse. Stubbornness. How many has been stubborn a few times? Is as bad as worshiping idols. That's pretty raw right there, man. Mm. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, he's finally going to break down. <laughs> he's finally admitted, I have sinned. Okay, okay, okay. You got me. I sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's commands for I was afraid of the people and I did what they demanded. See, you can't serve people and God at the same time. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and something else. Your allegiance has to be to God alone. So he says, I disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's commands for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now, please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Doesn't that kind of ring of somebody who's only apologizing because they got caught? And he wants him to come back with him so that he may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you since you have rejected the Lord's command. Do you see how many times it says the Lord's command? How important it is that we obey the Lord's command in our life, whatever it is right now, whatever he's saying to us right now, how important it is that we obey the Lord's command? He has rejected you as king of Israel. It's only five chapters ago that he was made king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore off the piece of the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn your kingdom of Israel from you today just and give it to someone else, someone who is better than you. And, and he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind. Then Saul pleaded again, I know I've sinned, I know, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. See, He's revealing his heart throughout this whole episode. He just wants to be honored before the people. He still just cares. He, he's not really upset that he's lost the kingdom. He just don't want the people to see him embarrassed. At least come back with me just to show the people that I'm still, I'm good. We'll make up a story while I'm stepping down or something. He's worried about his, his image. Saul 
only sought God's blessing on his plans. He never thinks about God's will. See, we never want to have a Saul moment where our will is the important thing. How many of you have thought to yourself, I would like to do this or that, and you set off to do it, and you begin to ask God and pray, and then if things go bad, and you realize, man, I, I shouldn't have went this direction in the first place, but you're just trying to ask God to bless your mess. What you need to do is step back and say, Lord, I shouldn't have never went there in the first place. I repent, I turn from that. Now let's see where you want to go. Don't ask God to bless your mess. Saul's had wrong motives whether he was doing what God wanted or wasn't doing what God wanted. There were times there was a few things that Saul did right. But you could just tell his heart wasn't in it for the right reasons. He had wrong motives. Saul viewed God more like a boss than a heavenly father, and a loving father. And uh, he flirted with sin. How close to the edge can he get without falling in? And then he would lie. Here he was trying to lie to the priest of God, you know, thinking that he can fool God and see how close he can get to the edge. You know what? If you find yourself getting too close to sin, you need to jump back. And if you find yourself having done it, then you need to admit it, and, and you need to confess your sins to God. Because when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. But not to when you run and hide and say, I didn't really do it, and act like God didn't see it. He's not blind. He's not so far off he can't see. He knows everything. Don't flirt with sin. See, when you're flirting with sin, that's another warning sign going off in your, in your dashboard. Ink, 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 ink. Pull over, pull over. For Saul, it was always about building his kingdom. He's king. And see, God gives you that option. You have the option to sit on the throne of your own life and make as big a mess of it as you want to. But a much better option. We say, God, you take control. Let's build your kingdom. Because your kingdom is going to be standing in, in 200 years while I'm dead and gone. And all my stuff is be rotten, falling to the ground and rusted. Your kingdom will stand forever, and I'll be living in it. But if I spend all my time building my kingdom, it's a house of cards. Saul did more bargaining than he did surrendering. That's a sad life. I know because I lived my life like that for 32 years. I thought God was this big fella in the sky that I could bargain with to get my way. All right, God, I'll give up this, but you've got to give me this. God is probably sitting up there the whole time. Who is this fella? What is wrong with him? I've had my share of Saul moments. I don't want no more. Now let's talk about the New Testament Saul. The New Testament Saul, you might recognize him after he changed his name. He became 
Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, back when he was named Saul, he was a Pharisee. They were the strict religious order of the time. And he wanted to live by the law. He thought the law was everything. The law of God, he, he, he did his best to live by it, and he wanted to make sure that everybody else lived by it. He didn't know anything about grace. Had no clue that God was graceful. He sought to control others. And he wanted to use the chains of the law to bind others into the same slavery in which he was bound to. Saul was flesh controlled. He didn't understand the things of the spirit. He could only see with his carnal, natural mind. He was living an Old Testament religion instead of a, a New Testament relationship. And the sad part about it is, many people start out in the Spirit, in their walk with Christ, and as soon as they get saved and receive the grace of God, they go right back into bondage to the law. In Galatians, it says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you started out in the Spirit and now you're, you're being trying to be justified by your works? Not that you shouldn't have good works. That's, you know, we're talking about living a Christian life here. But those works are produced in you by the Spirit. It is the grace of God that gives you the power to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. It didn't say where sin did abound, the law came in and won. The law was only our schoolmaster to bring us to grace. The law, no, nobody is justified by the law because nobody can keep it. But it pointed us towards God's grace. And see, Saul hadn't had that moment yet. I meet people all the time. I was talking to somebody here recently. And they, they want to argue Scripture. You know, you, you begin to, how's your relationship with Jesus? You know, are you, are you right with God? Or you know if you go to, uh, if you died, you'd go to heaven? Or try to start a conversation, talk, open up the door to, to maybe spread the gospel a little bit, and they want to play mental gymnastics. Well, what church do you go to? I go to this church. We believe this. What do you believe? But over the Protestants, we do this. And the Catholics over here, they do this. And, and have you ever been to one of those so-and-so churches? They're talking religion. But rarely do, do you hear them talk about any kind of relationship with Jesus. Do you hear him say, but the Lord's been so good to me? Now, when you hear that, they saved. But as long as they're talking about the Methodists and the Presbyterians and, and how long they sit in service and, and what their child care is like and all that stuff, and you never get, they never get around, and you keep trying to stir the conversation towards Jesus, but the, it never gets there. Because they're seeing everything through a religious lens. In Philippians 
chapter 3, verse 5. This is the Apostle Paul now speaking. And he's telling people that, you know, when I was following the this Now, see, this is, you know how he became the Apostle Paul? He got knocked off his high horse. He did. A great light came into his darkness. He saw the glory of God. It blinded his natural eyes, but God came through and gave him new sight. And this is what he said after he had walked with the Lord. And now he's a relationship man. He's not a religious man anymore. Philippians 3, 5 says, I was circumcised when I was eight, eight days old. That was according to Jewish law. I was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel as a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I don't know of anybody that could do that, even Apostle Paul. He said, but I once, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. All those degrees I had, all that knowledge that puffed me up, made me feel important. Those long robes that I used to wear, the way I used to be able to walk around and get respect of people because of my fine intellect. And my peers thinking that I'm great because I can keep the law perfectly. All that. Man, all that just went away. All that became nothing to me the moment I met Jesus. Just one glimpse into his glory changed my life forever. And now it is all about Pleasing Him. It is all about living for Him, building His kingdom, knowing Him, and the power of His resurrection in my life. And I'm even willing to fellowship with His sufferings. I'm willing to die for Him. I'm willing to give all for Him. I'm willing to sell everything I have and go buy that pearl of a great price. Jesus is worth it. And see, you can't have a Christless Christianity. 1 John 5.11 says, This is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. You can't claim to be a Christian and call Him the good Lord and have no real relationship with Jesus. How do we grow in love for Christ? You guys already know, but I'm going to read you a few things. Thomas Vincent's book called The True Christian's Love to the Unseen Christ. He mentions these things. He says, first, meditate on Christ. Make time in your day to dwell on Him. Consider who He is, what He's done, and what He is doing for you. 
If you'll think about those things, it'll change you. It'll change your heart. See, I know it's, it's sometimes we're in this world and we see what we see with our physical eyes and it's hard sometimes to love an unseen God if we don't discipline ourselves and we don't allow the Spirit to have control, we will back off of what uh, the love we once had. It's possible because Jesus says, you know, some of you have grown lukewarm. Right? So these are the things we do. We study about Christ. Paul said to let the Word of Christ dwell richly within us in Colossians 3.16. It's our spiritual food, he says in Matthew 4.4. 4. The third thing, pray for love. Jesus said, how much more shall your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask? Ask God for more love. The love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. And just like we can ask for more of the Holy Spirit, we can ask for more of His love. We love Him because He first loved us. Fourth, lean on Christ. Peter said, though you have not seen Him, you love Him, 1 Peter 1.8. You can only know Christ by faith. And only faith by faith can you truly love Him because you can't see Him. But you love Him. So you, there has to be that, that faith that He is who He is and that He exists and that He has done those things. And, you, and there's a knowing inside you that can't be taken away. Be filled with the Spirit. Romans 5.5, 5, so we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill, us, fill our hearts with love. So the Holy Spirit gives us the love of God. Of course, make sure that your salvation is sure, he says. If you lack assurance of your salvation, examine your life to make sure that you're saved. I'm serious. I know everybody in here, I'm, I'm almost positive, but, but I'm not the judge. But, but if there's any question in your heart... If there's the, no love, no these things that we talked about, all those warning signs are going off, are you really saved? Live in obedience. He says, I guess this was written years ago, he said, disturb sin as much as you can. Wage war every day with your remaining lust. Let no day pass over your head without giving some blows and thrusts and wounds to sin. The more you straighten the room for sin in your hearts, the less room Christ will have there. Take heed of inordinate love to the world. But how much more the world gets your love, the less Christ will have it. The more love you have for the world, the more your love for Jesus will wane. You can't serve both God and mammon, like I said. God and the world. You, your allegiance. You will either love, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other or vice versa. He has to be Lord of your life. He has to be first place. Another thing he says, follow those who love Christ. It'll rub off on you. Stay around people that are excited about Jesus. Now, and you do that primarily where? At church. That's why he gave us the church, to help us stir each other up. And lastly, he says, pursue love in every activity, in every contact, and in every thought. Make Christ your focus. And I added, simply what he's saying is invest in Jesus. Invest your time and your heart into Jesus. Because what you invest in, it will be your treasure. Matthew 6, 21 says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. 
I guarantee you, if you went and took all your savings and put it into some GE stock or something, all of a sudden you'd be taking in more interest in GE, wouldn't you? Because you invested in it. It would, well, I guarantee you, when you went down to Home Depot, you'd be looking for, you needed some washer and dryer. You'd like, I want one of them GEs because I'm invested in this. Look, God's word is God's love letter to you. And I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know there may be somebody in here that this is going to upset, but I am perplexed by Christians who don't read their Bible. There's a lot of things I could say more rude than that. <laughs> but I'll just leave it at that. I am completely perplexed by people who don't read their Bible but claim to be Christians. And I know that's all. That's all uh, well, everybody don't read their Bible. I know we don't bring them to church anymore and all these things. And it's cool to do a lot of things. It may be the, the end thing. It just perplexes me. I'll just leave it at that. Read the Word of God. Pray, worship, go to church. These are not anything new since you were told as a kid. All of you have, have known these things, so I'm not teaching anything new. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. It's just the seeking after God. And I tell you, the more you look for him, the more you find him, and the more you find him, the more you love him, and it just becomes overwhelming, your relationship. And you look back and you say, man, that dusty old religion I had before, that was not, that was not even God at all. That was nowhere close. And you may look back and say, what I thought was last year was good is nothing compared to now. I'll close. How many's heard the joke about the, the picking, uh, the picking and the chig. The picking and the chig. I meant to say the pig and the chicken. I'm rushing. I'm running out of time here. The picking and the chig. The chicken says to the pig, the farmer's been so good to us. I was thinking me and you could provide him some breakfast this morning. I could provide the eggs, and you could provide the bacon. <laughs> the pig says, well, that's fine for you, chicken. That's just a, a day's commitment. But for me, it's a lifelong commitment. I don't know about you, but I'm going whole hog for Jesus. Right? It is worth it. I'm going whole hog for Jesus. I'm going all in, and I want God to make everything new in my life. I'm, not, I'm fixing to read you a list of things that contradict everything I said was going wrong in people's lives. And I'm not saying that I have arrived on these things. But these are the, way, these, these are the things we should shoot for. I want prayer to be alive in my life. Filled with God's presence. I want to gladly stand in the gap for other people in prayer. Because I love God, His church, and I have a heart for the lost. Man, I will, I will tell people everywhere I go. I want everything I can get out and everything I can put into my church. In the services. I want to tithe. 
And I want to give so much more. I want true worship. I want to stop complaining and help people find ways to do things better. I want God's knowledge, but I also want to be willing to give my heart away. I want his knowledge, but I want his spirit. And I want his love. And I want people to recognize that I'm a Christian without me having to say a word. I want God's will. I want God's kingdom. And I want to surrender mine. I want to be obedient to my loving Father. I want to submit to his narrow path of righteousness and and shun the devil's wide path to destruction. I want to experience the fullness of God's grace. I don't want to be shackled by anything. I want to be, I want to, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and that's where I want to be. I want my heart, like my Christianity, to be full of Christ, full of Jesus. It is by him, for him, that I live and move and have my being. It is He created me, and I wanted my life to glorify him. Many will be found lukewarm on Judgment Day, and many will say, Lord, Lord, but they will have not meant it in their life. Not me. I'm going whole hog, never a soul moment. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.